Well, good morning. Welcome. Whatever time of the day it is, I'm so glad that you're here and that we are going through the Word of God together. And we are continuing to look at another psalm today. Another wonderful psalm. Psalm 7 is the psalm that we're going to look at today. But before we get into that, just a reminder, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, my Facebook page, Anthony P. Richards, my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards, my Instagram page, AP Richards. Links are always in the descriptions below to all these videos. Like, comment, subscribe, share, do all that so that more people can know what this is. And if you're not on YouTube, get on it because I've got some other great content on that that's not in other places uh, just because it's an easier. Now, I know some of you don't want to. Uh, I, I get it. Don't send me an email telling me the 48 reasons why you don't like either Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram. I'm sure you've all got them, and I'm sure they're valid. I'm just trying to reach as many people as I possibly can. So work with me. Okay, uh, Psalm 7. Now remember that I have mentioned to you in previous videos, and maybe if this is your first one you're watching, let me just uh, quickly uh, you know, repeat it, that one of the ways to help you read Psalms uh, is to read the last verse of the Psalm before you read the whole Psalm. It, it gives you... it. it let you know where the psalmist is going to arrive based on the journey he's taking you on through the psalm. And it just really, it, otherwise you can actually get distracted by the, the roller coaster if you don't know how it's going to end. So it's just a great tip. Uh, it, it just helps with context. Now, this particular psalm, is about having confidence in God's deliverance. Uh, the Hebrew title to this psalm reads this, A Meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. Uh, now, the New King James Version translates the Hebrew word shigeon as meditation. Uh, and though this word is actually difficult to translate, um, and it's only used in one other place in the Bible, which is in ha uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1, um, the specific occasion, it's not easily connected with an event recorded in the historical books of the Old Testament. Okay, now what does that mean? That means that many of the Psalms we are able to trace to a particular time in David's life or the psalmist's life. So for example, there's many references that uh, David wrote a psalm at the time when he was being chased by Absalom or when Paul was uh, after him or, you know, and you can refer back to second, first, uh, first and second Samuel. This one we don't have, we don't have that, that direct historical connection and link as to what was going on in the, in, 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 uh, in, in David's life at the time that he wrote this psalm. It might be a veiled reference to either uh, Shemai's accusations against David in 2 Samuel chapter 16, or it could be a reference to when Saul slandered David in 2 Samuel. But more likely, this particular Cush that is spoken of here was simply another person who was a part of Saul's commanders or was a, a, was a party to Paul, uh, to Saul, I'm sorry. So this psalm contains both David's cry of anguish, but also his confidence in God's deliverance 
during a time that was extremely difficult and he didn't have all the power that we now know him to have because we now know everything that David did. But he didn't have that when he wrote this particular psalm. So let's read the last verse of Psalm 7. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. So that's where David's going to get to. So let's start with verse 1. O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me. When David was under attack from uh, this Cush, Cush the Benjamite, all he could trust was God. Only God. That's it. Because every other support was gone. But he didn't need any other support. Derek Kidner. Nothing is known of Cush, but from Absalom's rebellion, it emerged that Benjamin, Saul's tribe, had some very bitter enemies of David. 2 Samuel 16. So God, David then says, God deliver me. Sometimes God's strength is evident in helping us through a trial, not taking away the trial. See, other times it's evident in different ways. David was persuaded that God wanted to deliver him from this trial, not necessarily take the trial away. It's it's a very important point. God allows trials in our life. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you are free from trials. What it means is that you are free to be delivered from any trial. 1 John 5, 4, who is this who overcomes the world, but he who has faith in Jesus Christ. You You can't be called an overcomer if you've got nothing to overcome. Being a Christian means that you will often be faced with things to overcome. But that's how you can be called an overcomer, is by overcoming what you had to overcome. There you go. A little obvious, but hopefully you get it. Um, Now, David had been slandered. To be slandered is a very severe trial. Uh, Spurgeon said this, It appears probable that Cush the Benjamite had accused David to Saul of treasonable conspiracy against his royal authority. This song may be called the song of the slandered saint. So this is where we're at. This is why David is writing this psalm. So if you've ever been slandered, had somebody say something against your name, hey, this is for you today. Be encouraged. If somebody you know has been slandered, this could be a great encouragement to them. When you are slandered in the future, come back to this. Verse 2. Lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces, while there's none to deliver. David believed that there would actually be very grave consequences if he wasn't going to be delivered from these lion-like enemies. And, and this understanding gave David an incredible sense of urgency in his prayer. Sometimes God allows difficult circumstances to happen in our life, so they wake up a bit of a sense of urgency in us. They kind of give us a bit of a kick in the pants. Um, Spurgeon, this is a description of the danger to which the psalmist was exposed from slanderous tongues. For the wounds of a sword will heal, but the wounds of the tongue cut deeper than the flesh, and they are not soon cured. See, David also, David talked about this, about being delivered uh, from a lion, because he knew what it was like 
to actually overcome a lion. He'd done it in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Killed the lion and the bear, protecting his sheep. So he knew what a lion was capable of. Uh, verse 3. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hand, sin in my hand, if I've done something wrong, if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me, or if I have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Selah. Pause. Think about this. With these words, David was not claiming sinless perfection. No. He simply rejected the idea of a moral equivalence between himself and his enemies. It wasn't like he was saying that he was blameless. He was just saying, hey, I know that we're not equal morally. Um, G. Campbell Morgan. From the psalm, we learn the nature of the charges which he made against David. They were that he had appropriated spoils which rightly belonged to the king, that he had returned evil for good, and that he had taken toll for some generosity. Lest the enemy pursue me and overtake me. David knew that his enemies were thirsty for his defeat. And, 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 if, and if you've ever been in that situation, it's horrible. You feel helpless. But he was so confident in his own righteousness in comparison to his enemies that he was willing to be given over to their desire if they were proven right. That, that's, that's a pretty gutsy prayer. But you know when you can pray that? When you know yourself what's right and wrong. And David always had great self-awareness of what he had done right and what he'd done wrong. And he had no problem if he'd done something wrong saying, yeah, judge me for it. I get it. Verse 6. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. David believed that God was a being of human-like passions, just like, like, you know, such as anger. David believed that the passions of God were actually on his behalf. He believed that God was or would be angry for him instead of against him. David Guzik, it is a mistake to believe that God is without passions. Because he is God, we can say that these passions are not exactly like their human counterparts. Yet they are certainly somewhat like them. God is not cold, distant or dispassionate. Yet it is also a mistake to assume that the passions of God are always with us or support our opinion. Many dangerous fanatics have been wrongly inspired by the mistaken assurance that God was for them when he actually was not. So David says, lift yourself up. Rise up for me. David believed that God was for him and his cause. Yet he did not hold this belief passively. He actively prayed for the accomplishing of what he believed God's will to be because he knew the intent of his own heart and what he'd actually done. And he knew that he'd done nothing wrong. Verse 7. You, you wouldn't pray this if you knew you'd done something wrong. When you then just prayed, yep, and if I've done it wrong, then judge me. No. His prayer reveals his heart. Verse 7, my eye, sorry, so the congregation of the peoples shall, shall surround you. 
for their sakes. Therefore, return on high. David's prayer for protection and vindication wasn't fundamentally selfish. He knew that his fate was totally connected to the welfare of God's people. Uh, It was in large measures for their sake, for the sake of the congregation. Verse 8, the Lord shall judge the peoples. So judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. This was the attitude that actually protected David from presumption. He honestly, very honestly and rightfully invited God's own judgment and correction on himself. David asked for God's blessing according to my righteousness, based on whether he had actually done anything wrong or not, and according to to my integrity within me. In effect, this is what he prayed. Lord, to the extent that I am righteous before you, then bless me and protect me from your enemies. That's a very transparent prayer. Uh, You need a lot of self-awareness to pray this. But if you have been slandered and you know you've done nothing wrong, you can pray this prayer. Because you, you will be self-aware that you know you've done nothing wrong. And you just want God to, God to be your, your uh, vindicator. Um, verse 9. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. This reveals more of the heart of David's prayer. More than anything, he prayed for God to be just. Uh, And in this sense, David didn't pray for special favoritism with God. He prayed for God to be just, and he searched his own heart to help him put him in the the right before God. Uh, Derek Kidner, David seemed to pray here beyond his own personal needs. There is a great breadth of vision here revealing a concern for universal justice, which was always the motive behind David's personal appeals for vindication. Verse 10. My defense is of God, who saves the upright in heart. David knew that he was at a significant disadvantage before his enemies and that he had to rely on the defense that is of God. Verse 11. God is a just judge. God is angry with the wicked every day. (laughs) David's prior appeal to God's testing of man in verse 9 made him think of the justice of God. He declared this fundamental principle, which is this, God is a just judge. Now, this is actually a commonly and dangerously rejected truth about God. Many people anticipate that they're one day going to be standing before a God of great love, mercy, warmth, generosity. They never imagine that they're going to stand before a God who is perfectly just and who cannot ignore the crime of sin. Um, Sin is a crime. It it breaks the good and holy law of God. And while all sins are not equally sinful, some sins are worse than others, Uh, and will receive a greater condemnation. Matthew 23, that's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. But there is no small sin, okay, against a great God. Okay, they're all sins. They're all crimes. And the justice of God is actually easy to understand if we simply compare uh, to what we expect from an earthly judge. 
Um, we don't think it's right or good if a human judge excuses crime in the name of compassion. We don't think that. We expect judges to be just. But many people are absolutely confident that God will be an unjust judge on the day of judgment. They're so confident of it that they mistakenly rely on this idea for their salvation. But David knew the truth. God is a just judge. He's angry with the wicked every day. Um, listen, if he's just, he cannot just look past our sin and be happy about it. Uh, he doesn't now, but God doesn't wake up angry. He's not an angry God waking up going, I guess they're going to mess up again today. No, no, no. Uh, in, in the light of how we think, it's not like he wakes up angry. Obviously, God doesn't wake up, but I, I'm trying to help you understand. Um, it's what we do that makes him angry, but he also is able to instantaneously love us with compassion, forgive us, all at the same time as being angry at our sin. Uh, he loves us all the time. See, God is capable of things that you and I are not. That's why he's God. He's capable of having all those emotions all wrapped up together. We can't. That's why we struggle. That's why we say things like, well, I just can't imagine a God that would be angry at me. Well, I can't imagine a God of love would just you know, cast me into the pit of hell. Look, it doesn't matter what you can imagine because Ephesians 3.20 said that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. The Bible also tells us that God doesn't think the way that you and I think. He doesn't. He, his ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. So, so whenever you start having some theological conversation in your head that begins with, well, I just can't imagine, then just go pause and delete. Verse 12. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. Talking about God. David here considers the readiness of God to judge the sinner. David saw the sword sharpened. He saw the bow bent. It's ready to go. Got the arrow ready to go. And with God so ready to judge, the sinner should never presume that God will delay his judgment. Uh, David Guzik. This is another fatal error made by many who see God delaying deserved judgment out of mercy. And they mistake it for the idea that God is not concerned with justice at all. Instead, somebody should ask, why does God hold back the immediate application of justice? Is it because the sinner is not really guilty? Is it because the law is not really clear? Is it because mankind in fact deserves such mercy? Is it because God is not really powerful enough to bring justice? Is it because God is not really just? None of these are true, David Guzik says. Instead, the sword is sharpened and the bow is bent. The only thing that hold, holds back the immediate judgment of God against the sinner is the undeserved mercy of God, giving the sinner an unknown period of time to repent. Such mercy should never be presumed upon. Verse 13. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. <laughs> this is very powerful imagery, right? Uh, but it's powerful poetic imagery, and it communicates the severity of God's just judgment, hopefully providing another incentive to repentance. Uh, George Horn, the wrath of God may be slow, but it is always sure. In thoughtless security, man wantons and whiles away the precious hours. He knows not 
that every transgression sets a fresh edge on the sword, which is thus continually wetting for his destruction. Yeah. David, this is, this is the magic and beauty of, of the Psalms, is that David highlights the truth of the very nature and character of God on all sides. Verse 14. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. It's a seemingly obvious statement, uh, but it's important because it shows that a wicked heart will show itself in the wicked that it does, the wicked deeds. Wicked deeds revealed a wicked heart. And these wicked deeds may have even the cover of respectability to others. Uh, but they will nonetheless be filled with sin. That's, that was what the whole point of the Pharisees. Okay, so that means you know, you've got people in your life um, and you know they're doing wicked things. But to others, they seem like they're doing something respectable or noble. Just remember, God's the just judge. Just remember that he never overlooks sin and crime. God conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. See, that's the source of sin. It's from within the sinner. The sinner gives birth to sin just as much as a mother gives birth to her own children from within. And God knows because God knows what's within us and he knows what comes out of us. That's why he can be just. Verse 15. He made a pit and he dug it out. Talking about the the, the wicked, okay? This is, this is the wicked, talking about the wickedness of the wicked. He made a pit and he dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he himself made. <laughs> um, a common method of God's distribution of justice is this, that he often brings the same calamity on the wicked that they had planned for the righteous. G. Campbell Morgan, the pit that has been dug as a grave is for the man who digs it? <laughs> uh, little bit of combination of tenses there as well. I love that. And I think he's kind of playing with us and messing with us about understanding future and present. Um, verse 16. The wicked, his trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealings shall come down on his own crown. Uh, now, two examples of this in the Bible, of where this actually happened in the Old Testament, uh, Haman, the enemy of Mordecai, in Esther chapter 7. Uh, so what did he do? He built a gallows uh, to actually uh, hang the wrongdoer when he himself was the wrongdoer, and he ended up being hung himself on those gallows that he made. And then you've got uh, the enemies of Daniel in the lion's den. And uh, when we read Daniel, we see that uh, they're, they're, what they tried to do uh, is what ended up happening to them. Uh, verse 17. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord high. Which high? Most high. If, if you've been slandered, okay, um, by words of others, don't ever stop singing praise to the Lord, okay? according to his righteousness, not according to your situation. See, David was wise enough to praise God according to God's righteousness, not his own. 
David appealed to God in this psalm on the basis of his, of his own comparative goodness to the, the people that slandered him. But it wasn't a self-righteous prayer. David knew the difference between his relative righteousness to God and God's praiseworthy, perfect righteousness. And that's why he was going to sing to the name of the Lord Most High. David ends this psalm, which begins in gloom, on a high note of praise. See, he could praise because he took his cause to God in faith, and then he left it there. He left it with God, and then he came back to praise God. See, observation, always remember to praise God in times of gloom, because God's always going to be just, and he is always worthy of our praise, no matter what people are saying about us. God's got you today. I, I want to pray for people because I know that that when you've had words said against you that, that speak to your integrity and you know that you are somebody who has integrity, just like David. When, when people say that you took things or you, you, know, you, you, you gained things by unfair methods and you know you didn't, you know you didn't. When people say that you did things and you know you didn't do them. Can I tell you, God is a just judge. Take, take solace and comfort in that today. And allow the words of this psalm just to bring you um, peace. Peace today. I'm praying that for you. As much as I can say, let me say this as a pastor. My heart breaks for you today, if that's you. Because I, I know what it's like. It's horrible when people say things about you. But we're all sinners saved by grace. And I'm sorry for the pain that you're going through. And I pray that right now that your pain would be eased by knowing that 3,000 years ago, David went through this and he knows and understands your pain. 2,000 years ago, Jesus went through it when he was slandered. He knows what you're going through. And today, I'm not David and I'm not Jesus. I'm just, I'm just some Aussie pastor who lives in Minnesota and I'm just trying to tell you that I, I care for you. I don't need to know your circumstances to know that God will be your just judge and I want to encourage you today and I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just pray Lord that you would just allow anybody who's just going through a tough time right now of being slandered where words are set against them that God, that you would allow them to see that you are a just judge. God, you'll defend them. And I pray, Lord, that they would have a confidence within today, a confidence within that doesn't come from the affirmation of others. It comes from the confidence of the declaration of who, that, who they are in Jesus Christ. They are sons and daughters of the living God. And I pray, Lord, that they would have a peace today. I pray, Lord, for all those people who have not slept well for a long time. They haven't had good sleep. God, God, I'm just I'm supernaturally listening to you, Lord, right now. I, I pray, Lord, that they would just have a wonderful sense of rest when they put their head on the pillow the next time. That, God, that you would give them a, a sleep that maybe they haven't had for a long time. They wake up feeling refreshed in you purely because they know that you're a just judge. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.